I find it incredibly frustrating and yet interesting that Jesus addresses every concern that we have about God. You might not like his answer. You might find his answer today a little bit less than desirable about the problem of injustice and evil in a world created by a good God. But he gives us an answer. It's a very difficult parable to wrestle with. And the, the Bible often addresses the problem of evil and injustice in a good world created by God. In fact, it's the greatest, it's the greatest atheistic argument against the existence of God. Right? If God is omniscient, omnibenevolent, and omnipotent, which means he's all-knowing, all-good, and all-powerful, why does evil exist? This is classic atheistic argument. Oh, your God's so good. Yeah. Well, if he's so good, wouldn't he want to do something about this? If he's so powerful, can't he do something about this? And if he's all-knowing, he must know how to do it. So why doesn't he do it? Your good God. Now, the, the biblical answer is found in many places in the Bible. But the place we're given today is in the book of Isaiah where God simply says this. Again, you might not like it. You might say it's a cop-out. But this is the answer. God says, my ways are not your ways. And my thoughts are not your thoughts. I know you think you know what's best for you. But you really don't. And it's all over the Bible. I mean, a classic example is take, take the book of Exodus. <clears throat> right? The people are in Egypt. They're like, we want to get out of this place of slavery. And so God dramatically rescues them from this place of slavery in ways they could never have imagined. And then they get to the edge of the Red Sea. And the chariots, Pharaoh's chariots are bearing down on them and they're like, Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? You should have just left us as slaves. And what happens? Boom, the sea splits apart. Couldn't have picked that one. They go across the river, wandering around the desert. They say it again and again. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? You should have just left us in that place of slavery. Manna appears on the ground. Mir- miraculously. Moses, we hate you. We're thirsty. You should have just left us back there. Hits a rock. Water gushes forth. God knows what he's doing. We really don't. And I think that his ways are not our ways. Because if we're honest, the bulk of the time, who do we think about the most? Ourselves. And so everything is viewed through this myopic sort of tunnel vision about me. Look at how this is affecting me. God, why are you doing this to me? I mean, we see, it's it's the, the, the view of the ego. And we see injustice everywhere. Some of you here today have experienced it. Terrible injustice. A father of a young family dies tragically in a car accident. Well, a person yearning to die in old age just keeps hanging on. A woman who yearns for years to have children can't have children and she lives a good life. And a woman who lives a wicked life, she can have children whenever she wants. Morally and upright people suffer terribly while the wicked just seem to do whatever they want. 
Some people are given innumerable gifts, talent, intelligence like me. Other people... I'm just, just kidding. The point is, is that injustice is everywhere. Injustice is everywhere. So we yell out, God's ways are unfair. And I think it's for two reasons we think this. First, as I said, because we only think about ourselves. And second, because we're way too invested in this life. Did you hear St. Paul in his second reading? For me, life is Christ. And death is gain. I long to depart from this life and be with Christ, which is far better. Paul is this weird sort of, I want to die, get me out of here sort of attitude. He knew that this world was not all it's cracked up to be. There's a reason the ancients called this world the Valley of Tears. We've been sold this lie that it's all about fun and pleasure and enjoyment, vacations and resorts, Sunday football. But this life is hard, man. And the older you get, the harder it gets. I preach on this at funerals all the time. I say, why do we feel so bad for the one who has passed? They're free. I mean, they're out of here. We're the poor suckers that are left here. We still got to deal with all the garbage. Not them. Suffering's over. Pain is over. All they're experiencing now is joy, peace. But I think when suffering hits, when tragedy hits, when difficulty hits, we so quickly turn against God instead of relying on Him. And I think it's because things aren't going our way. And dang it, God, get in line with me. We get so caught up in the evil or the injustice that's presented before us, we miss him. We miss him in the very experience that's going on in the moment. T.S. Eliot, the great uh, famous poet, he said, There is no greater tragedy in this life than to have an experience and miss the meaning. And so, I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying today. I think way too often we take this parable and say, it's just about people, you know, being saved at any point in their life. And there's a certain degree of injustice to that. I don't want to look at that way. I heard this from a priest I know, and it really helped me. I hope it really helps you. Bear with me. Imagine you're in college, okay? And you get to the end of your spring semester, and you really want to take this class the next semester, which is called The Great Books. This is an actual class, by the way. It's like all of Western civilization literature. So from Homer to Plato to Aristotle to Dante, all the big writers. And so you sign up for it. About a week later, the professor calls you and says, hey, I want you to jump on this class. I'm going to email you the list of books and you start reading. Read all the way through the summer. And here's how my class works. If you read a book and you write a one-page reflection, you'll get an A. And you say, great. So you dive into it. You read 25 books that summer. Write 25 reflection papers. Email them all to the professor. First day of class shows up. All these people show up. You don't know where they, where they came from, who they are. And the professor hands out the list of books. And he says, read as many as you can. Write a one-page reflection. And if you do that, you'll get an A in my class. And you're like, huh. I wonder if all these people read all summer like I did. 
Then after Thanksgiving break, you come back and there's a whole new group of students. And he hands out this little sheet of paper and he says, read as many books as you can. And write a one-page reflection. And if you do, you'll get an A. At the end of the year, post all the grades. They're all public. Everybody got an A. You read 50 books. You wrote 50 papers. The Thanksgiving group read two books and wrote two papers. Now, looking at this one way, you could be incredibly angry because it's incredibly unfair. But that's not the point of what I want to say. When it comes to the class, why are you there? Are you there just to get an A? Because if you are, yeah, this is terribly unfair. Just like the guys in the gospel. What are they there for? Money. They're there to get money. And so at the end of the day, terribly unjust. Because everybody got paid the same. They were looking beyond the usual day's wage. But if there is more than just money that can be earned, then maybe the landowner isn't so unfair. Or, or maybe, just maybe, if you're being offered more than the class than just an A, maybe the professor isn't so unfair. What if you're there for something else? What if you're there for knowledge in that class? Is there injustice? No. You got way more knowledge than the guys at Thanksgiving do. Or maybe, what if you're there for mentorship from the professor? Is there injustice? No. You've been working with him through the entire summer and semester. He's a friend, a confidant. And so the question I want you to ask right here, right now is this. Why are you here? Right now, here in this church, why are you here? Is it so that you don't go to hell? Because that's like taking a class just trying to get an A. Why are you here? Or are you, are you here because you want something more than the superficial things of the world? The church isn't just about salvation and damnation or jumping through hoops, about getting an A when you show up at the pearly gates. God is saying, oh, hey, good job. You jumped through every hoop. It's about flourishing. It's about the human person experiencing the totality of freedom and joy and authentic living in this life. And the longer you're in the church and living your faith, the more you experience that. You will see things differently. You won't dwell on this world and its injustices. Rather, you'll see them as opportunities to encounter God. Who gets into heaven? Who cares? I don't care if they get in at the beginning or at the very end. I want everybody there. You should want everybody there. But if you invest in the world more than you invest in your faith, yeah, there's going to be a lot of injustice. This life is terribly unfair. But if you invest in this life through the eyes of faith, that everything you're seeing, everything that's happening... There's more than meets the eye. Life becomes exciting. Let me give you a quick story. There was a, maybe you've heard this, but there was an old faith-filled farmer. He was known very well for, he was very hopeful, optimistic. Just couldn't, I mean, this guy's unflappable. You couldn't break him. He was always just in a good mood. 
And he had this workhorse. And this workhorse was the best workhorse in the, in the little town. It did twice as much work as any other horse. And one day the horse ran away. And now all the people of the town came together and they're like, Oh, we're so sorry you lost your horse. And he's like, Well, what seems like a curse could be a blessing. Four days later, the horse returned. Brought four wild horses with it. And all the people in the town gathered around. They're like, oh my gosh, what fortune. Now you have five horses. And he's like, ah, what seems like a blessing could be a curse. A week later, his oldest boy is riding the untamed horse to break it. And he gets fucked off and breaks both of his legs. And the people of the town gather around. They're like, oh, we're so sorry about your poor son and his legs. And he says, ah, what seems like a curse might be a blessing. Two weeks later, war breaks out in the country. Every young man is drafted into the army, except for his boy who has two broken legs. And all the people of the town, these people don't have much of a life, all the people of the town gather around him and say, wow, what a grace, what a blessing. And he says, ah, what could be a blessing could be a curse. And on and on and on. How are you going to view this life? You're going to look at the injustice and dwell on that? Or are you going to look at it with the eyes of faith and see far beyond it? One will lead to a beautiful life. One will lead to anger, resentment, and frustration. Like the farmer in the story says to the people, I know it looks bad, but who knows? Maybe God's going to do something really great with it. Or maybe it's really good. I don't know. Maybe it'll turn out bad, but I know one thing. He's my father. And he does all things for my good. My encouragement this weekend for you is to look beyond the mere give and take of this world, which is only concerned about itself, and see that there is so much more to life if you look at it with the eyes of faith. Let me leave you with a prayer of Cardinal John Henry Newman, a hero of mine. He said, God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me which he is not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I'm a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. So I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth. And I will trust him. Wherever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am sick, may my sickness serve him. If I am perplexed, may my perplexity serve him. If I am in sorrow and dejected, May that serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he's about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers and make me feel desolate and cause my spirit to sink. He might hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he's about. And I will trust him. There's a whole world waiting for you if you can get beyond the injustice of this world and move into divine love.
move into trust in divine providence. There is truth, goodness, and beauty. There is authentic freedom.